Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ, sponsored by Medical Protection, where we tackle the everyday challenges of being a GP. A week is a long time uh, when it comes to COVID, and uh, a week ago when we recorded this episode, we thought that uh, mandatory vaccination for for healthcare workers in in England was going to go ahead uh, very soon. But uh, I think Sajid Javid might have heard the the early version of the podcast and spiked the... um, the policy and now that's not going ahead but we're still going to bring you the episode uh, and Navjoy uh, is just here to have a quick chat about that before we we play the the, the episode that we recorded last week. Uh, Navjoy what do you think uh, is going on here? Yeah I mean we recorded the episode thinking that you know the the mandatory vaccinations are going to happen but we thought there was still quite a lot that was relevant in the episode um you know we touch on issues related to the staffing issues in primary care about um the evidence base um for things like vaccine mandates and about how these policies are introduced which i mean everyone who works in primary care will be familiar with this concept of things being rolled out without necessarily thinking of all the consequences unattended unintended or otherwise um and you know we're just seeing that again for example with the news recently of nationalizing um gps which um i mean that that's for a future episode but um we still think this episode is um worth listening to and touches on a lot of relevant issues for gps Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ, sponsored by Medical Protection, where we tackle the everyday challenges of being a GP. From the 1st of April, frontline healthcare workers in England who are not fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or exempt from vaccination will be made redundant. An estimated 5% of the workforce may be looking for a new job, which could mean another 70-odd thousand vacancies to add to the 100,000 posts already available in the NHS. Today we consider the impact on practices with GP and RCGP Treasurer Steve Mole and speak to Juan Franco, Editor-in-Chief of the journal Evidence-Based Medicine, about how to study the effectiveness of vaccine mandates. I'm Tom Nolan, a GP and Clinical Editor for the BMJ, and I'm joined as usual by Jenny. Hi Jenny, welcome back. Hi, Tom. I'm Jenny Rasanathan. I'm a family medicine doctor and GP and a clinical editor for the BMJ. And you've been away. Have you? Did you go somewhere nice? I did. I went to the sun-soaked South Island of New Zealand for vacation. Nice. And back feeling refreshed and uh, yeah, I don't until... know how you feel after going to the South Island, but... <laughs> yeah, no, very refreshed until I then uh, had a child with a runny nose and because these are COVID times, lost an entire day to keeping him at home for a COVID test. Mm. Fortunately, it's all negative. We're still avoiding avoiding the scourge. Uh, and uh, Navjoit, hi. Hi, I'm Navjoit Lada. I am a clinical editor at the BMJ and a locum GP in London. Cool. So we're talking today about vaccine mandates uh so as i said in the intro there uh from the 1st of april um yeah healthcare workers in england are are going to need to be vaccinated uh, or they well not quite made redundant but i think most of them probably will be because if they can't do a non-patient facing role they'll be 
um, won't be able to work um, in in their role. Uh, what do you make of this, uh, Navjoy? Um, well, it's really worrying, isn't it? I think um, it's. I, I think it's one thing to have. You know, I think we all have our own views about vaccination and the importance of getting vaccinated. Um, and you know, you can be really pro-vaccine, pro-vaccine mandates. But actually, if the reality is that 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 is still not enough to get those people to who you know are hesitant for whatever reason to be vaccinated and the consequences that we'll be seeing lots of people lose their jobs and I think that is yeah that is really worrying um Jenny I'm interested uh, so you're living in New Zealand or practicing in New Zealand uh but uh, studied and trained in the US um what's what's going on Give us the global view. Just summarise what's happening in the world on vaccine mandates for us, please. <laughs> summarise what's happening in the world. Oh, man. Um, well, <laughs> two things to say. The first is that actually so let's, uh, go straight um, into it then. the uh, Supreme the Court in the United States just ruled on this question in some capacity in that the uh, Labor Department um, had tried to place a mandate for uh, vaccination for large employers, including healthcare workers. And while the overall uh, mandate was struck down, um, it actually a, a modest ma- majority of five to four allowed a more limited mandate requiring healthcare workers at facilities receiving federal money to um, be mandated to be vaccinated. So, so actually, um, I was surprised to learn that, but healthcare workers, at least in the United States, uh, where their institutions receive federal monies will be subject to this mandate going forward. And actually, um, here in New Zealand, we've had a healthcare worker vaccination mandate in place since last year. Um, so mm. healthcare workers were required to get their first vaccination uh, by November, their second by January, and now uh, to be boosted by February. And um, granted, I it's no secret, I agree with that mandate here, but... Um, to my knowledge, there hasn't been a huge backlash. Um, most people, we have—I mean, New Zealand is an incredibly highly vaccinated population in general, and most people seem to have been pretty willing uh, to be vaccinated. And you know, just the occasional news story reporting very small numbers of people who've actually uh, left the job or or um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I guess the. One thing is the timing. People are talking about the timing here and perhaps if it had been done in the UK much sooner before Omicron and, you know, those questions that arise about how effective it is about in, in terms of reducing spread and, and um, you know, just the whole point of it, isn't it? Uh, but I suppose there's societal factors too, aren't there, that about um, people's willingness to have vaccines in general yeah, and I think there's also something just about kind of social cohesion as well. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm actually a little bit surprised about the um, Supreme Court decision. I didn't realize that the healthcare mandate had been allowed to go forward, and I assumed it would have been a very contentious kind of state by state decision. Um, and a lot of people kind of preemptively, pa- like Republican legislatures preemptively passing uh, passing laws saying you cannot put a mandate in place. Um, so I do think there is something to be said about kind of the overall community mindedness of a population and a shared kind of um, shared goals around that compared to individualism. I spoke to Steve Mole, who's a, a GP in Lambeth. 
uh, where there's high rates of non-vaccinated uh, people in, in the general public and in, in the population. So I spoke to him about how that's affecting his practice and what he thinks about vaccine mandates. And that's coming up after this from our sponsor. When you're a GP, you're not just nine to five. Being a GP is part of who you are, whatever the time of day. So when it comes to your indemnity, you need someone you can turn to at any time. Medical protection is always here for you with expert medical legal advice, including 24 seven in an emergency. We don't just cover patient claims, we're also here to provide support and legal representation when it comes to GMC inquiries, coroner inquests, criminal investigations and more. Online, we offer risk prevention courses and webinars to keep you up to date with current news, risks and legislation. We also go the extra mile when it comes to your well-being. With a free counselling service and e-care app, we're helping members take positive steps to better mental and physical health. It's the protection your career deserves, all in one place. And if you're about to qualify or have recently qualified, we can help you take the next step in your career with savings on membership for newly qualified GPs. To find out more, visit medicalprotection.org. Hi, my name's Steve Mole. Uh, I'm a GP partner uh, in the heart of Lambeth uh, near Brixton, been there for 21 years, uh, and I'm also uh, the treasurer at the Royal College of GPs for the last five years. Well, thanks so much for, for joining me, uh, Steve. Um, if we can start by going, well, we want to talk about mandatory vaccinations and maybe a bit of your experience within your practice. Uh, how's that affecting you? So at a practice level, this is having a really big uh, impact. Um, it, it just happened that our very long-serving practice manager, assistant practice manager, and one of our receptionists retired at the end of December, which meant three of our key staff had a planned retirement uh, then anyway. And then on top of that, five of our members of staff uh, are also um, um, not willing to be vaccinated, uh, which means we could then lose a further five members of staff all within two yeah. months, essentially. I say eight members of staff out of 16 uh, support staff. So, you know, that is really oh, wow. a really massive, um, uh, you know, effect on our, our, our practice. So eight out of 16 staff, um, five of those from for who, because of their, their vaccination status. And, um, well, firstly, like, are, you, are you able to tell me anything about the conversations that you or other, you know, partners or members of staff have had with those those people about the reasons they've decided to 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 go with this so it's really interesting and um, they're um you know they're a very dedicated group of staff some of them have been uh, working for the practice um for many years one over 30 years uh, so these mm. are people you know who are very um attached to the practice um but actually they have um either personal misgivings about vaccines sometimes in general um so some of them literally have had no vaccinations ever um, and mm -hmm. not even childhood uh, immunizations uh, tetanus etc um, and so to have the covid uh, immunization is quite a big jump uh, mm -hmm. and that 
I guess that might surprise um, some who work in the health field that you would assume that everyone uh, would um, take up a, a vaccine offer. Um, and that's not the case. We uh, recruit as many staff as we can uh, from the local community. Um, and actually our local community has a high degree of vaccine hesitancy. We know that uh, in Lambeth, mm. we've got one of the highest levels of uh, vaccine hesitancy um, in London. Uh, and indeed we had the highest rate of uh, COVID just before Christmas, literally on Acre Lane, which is about 50 meters from the front door of our practice. So, you know, mm. we literally had the highest levels of Omicron in the UK, right on our doorstep. Right, and so because you actually do recruit from the local community, uh, it's like a double whammy, I suppose, isn't it? You, you first, you, you higher rates of of, uh, of COVID, and then and then this comes along too. Uh, of course, you, you personally have been very personally your your practice has been very affected by this. Um, before I ask you what you think of the the that policy, um, how are you going to cope with this? Have you presume you've putting a lot of effort into recruitment, but it's hard to recruit right now. It's really hard to uh, recruit yeah. um, at the moment. Um, I think we're lucky that we managed to recruit a new practice manager. Uh, and I think, yeah. you know, just probably most of our GP colleagues out there know uh, that re- recruiting an experienced practice manager, that's no mean uh, task. And, you know, our outgoing mm-hmm. practice manager had been with us for 30 years, um, uh, not all as practice manager, but, you know, 30 years, and our assistant practice manager had been with us for over 25 years. Mm. Um, so, you know, replacing uh, basically institutions within institutions, uh, incredibly mm. difficult. So at least, you know, we do have an experienced um, practice manager who's fantastic. Uh, we, we will go about uh, recruiting. Um, we're, um, we pay the London living wage uh, to all our staff, um, including new um, receptionists, etc. And that actually does help in recruitment uh, and a little advert there for the London Living Wage. Uh, I, I should say conflict of interest. I was formerly the vice chair of Citizens UK, uh, which is the home of the Living Wage Foundation. Um, mm. So I'm a strong advocate for um, living wage. Uh, and indeed, with my RCGP hat on, we're one of only three Royal Medical Colleges out of the 27 that is an accredited living wage employer as well. So. Um, just slip that in as a, a, a little, um... <laughs> okay. I'll let, I'll let you do that. Yeah, <laughs> but you okay? But you you think you'll be able to fill those those um, five vacancies? But it, it but it takes time to skill up a yeah. new member of the team. Um, you know, being a receptionist, um, incredibly complex job, uh, difficult, uh, easy to do badly, um, hard to do well, and that takes a long time to train yeah. uh, a new receptionist up. So losing. Um, staff at this moment uh, in uh, the pandemic, I think, is, is going to be really tough for us. Yeah. So then, what do you think of this, uh, the vaccine mandate uh, for, for NHS workers? That on a personal level, and then I'll ask maybe maybe if you can give me the RCGP's yeah, view, or, well, or all together, if you they're like. They're actually uh, perfectly aligned. <laughs> of course they are, yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> you know, my personal view um, is that, um, you know, we shouldn't have a mandate. We should use the usual. I think mandates um, may have some short-term benefit, but in the long term, uh, and it will be damaging probably for recruitment as well, because in the long term we will want to recruit. You know, um, so it's so it's less. So the reasoning is is more about, um, I suppose, long-term trust 
in the in the, the role of profession rather than maybe the science side of it because that's the other thing that people love to debate isn't it is well is this actually going to be effective in yeah i think COVID I, or, I, I think again you know both the college and personally you know i'm very pro vaccinations and would encourage everyone uh, to mm. uh, take up the option uh, of vaccination but it should be an informed uh, choice um i think the other thing uh, from a, a college point of view is that you know the unintended consequence of the of the hit on the workforce, the disproportionate impact on certain groups in society and actually increasing health inequalities rather than reducing health inequalities, I think mm. are very marked. Um, and I think it's reasonable to say, you know, my, the five members of staff, they're five um, BAME members of the staff, uh, as the total of eight BAME members of staff, um, that's really reducing our, the diversity of our team uh, and we've always really valued the diversity of our team, that our team actually reflects the local population, the local community. Um, and, and that's really important to us. And actually to lose mm. that, I think, um, you know, could actually re uh, result in reduced trust in our community and us. Because actually when patients come to the practice, um, I'd like to think they come in and think, oh, yeah, these are, these are members of our own community. We, we, we work yeah. and live together. Um, but certainly as a vaccinator, you know, it was really tricky. You know, we, I, I remember when that uh, the um, the mandate for care staff came through and we had carers coming in uh, who really didn't want the vaccination. Uh, but actually they were sitting there with a bare arm in front of me saying, you know, um, I've come for my vaccination, but I really don't want it, doctor. And I'm only having it because there's a mandate in place. Well, as a doctor, that's... Um, quite difficult ethically I think you know someone's feeling like they're coerced into doing something that they don't really want to do if that happened in it for any other reason I'd say well let's not do it then you know if someone was coercing someone else into doing something they didn't want to do I'd be saying well that's I, I'm not respecting your autonomy um, however it's the law Well, maybe starting with that last bit then. So that's that's five people from the community that the practice serves going going back into their community and having lost their jobs. Uh, and, and I guess what 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 might that do to the trust in in the practice or the profession? I should say. Yeah, I mean that's really worrying, isn't it? <laughs> that um, that I, I guess that's the issue, isn't it? It's quite a a blunt instrument when um you know we've often talked about we, we have talked about on this podcast you know when we've talked about vaccine hesitancy and the importance of building trust and how um you know some communities there might be you know historical reasons for there to be a kind of a loss of trust in authority and this just seems to compound that rather than um address a lot of those issues so um yeah, I mean, that's that's a big issue, I think. I Well, just to say, I agree. And I also think this is a really good example of how things are always more complex than what they seem. You know, um, I think it's really easy to malign people for not wanting a vaccine and to accuse them of feeding into anti-vax rhetoric. Um, but reasons are always much more complex and... and um, 
you know, there are, there are legitimate reasons why people would not want, you know, in this particular clinic to lose this number of staff, to lose that well of diversity and the benefit of that by virtue of a mandate. Yeah. Uh, another thing that, that Steve mentioned there was about, you know, as a, as a GP or clinician administering a vaccine to somebody who tells you they, they really don't want it. Uh, and the only reason they're having it is because there's a law that says they can't work in their job unless they have it and you know that in any other situation you 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 probably wouldn't offer that you probably wouldn't give the vaccine because it, it would be coercion um do you think that's uh well i hadn't heard that point of view before i guess it takes a gp often to, to have these points of view isn't it about um the individual um, situation yeah i think a, a sort of theoretical level you know whoever would develop this policy you might say well that's the point is the people who are kind of on the cusp but actually delivering it I think that does you know you could completely see how that could come into conflict with you know the values that you're usually holding. Yeah recruiting staff as I've found at my practice is a huge undertaking it's if you've got five members of staff to recruit it just that's a sort of full-time job uh, and then you've always got your other vacancies too, GPs and other other vacancies. So uh, I, I'm not aware of there being any any attempts by the government or NHS England to compensate practices for that that time. But you can understand why in the time where if you're on the minimum wage or in some practices, you know, in London below the London living wage, and there's plenty of other jobs around, you know, that's a consideration for people as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely a consideration. I think. Um, it's interesting how, because there's a staffing shortage, people, and because in general, there's like a shortage of employees across different sectors, right? Like, um, I was speaking to a patient the other day who was noting how the hospitality sector is crying out for workers. And it's interesting how there are some sectors that are, are, you know, going to unforeseen lengths and pay rises to get employees as a result of COVID. Um, and so actually the labor market is really favorable for somebody who wants to leave their job and find an alternative. And they probably have a fair amount of bargaining power over what they might've had before. So actually the prospect of leaving a job might actually yeah. now be more appealing as a result of some of the um, other uh, staffing shortages across different sectors uh, laid bare by COVID. Yeah. And this might be more the the, the sort of final straw, straw, uh, straw that broke the camel's back in that if you're doing a really hard job as a GP, let's say a GP receptionist, which is a really tough job on, on low wages, and this might just be the, the last the last straw or the thing that just nudges you away from, from that rather than it all being about the vaccine as such. Maybe it's not not more complicated than that I would imagine in a lot of cases. I think what what we're exploring in this episode is the fact that actually there are these consequences and we might look back and be like actually introducing that policy made like all of our like ethnic minority receptions leave or whatever it is um, and actually that was that we should have thought about the kind of equity side of that policy. I, I think there will be things like that that we are reflecting on now and that probably we'll look back and reflect on as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm still on the fence. I'm not sure if the ends justify the means, but um, I guess we won't know that until we've done it or not done it. So, 
Well, do you think, I guess the interesting thing in England is we are now approaching the sort of deadline for when, as at the time of recording, the time when all staff will have needed to have their first vaccination in order to kind of meet this vaccine mandate. And there's been a lot of discussion about whether um, NHS England or the Department of Health will back down over this because there are so many concerns about um, staff shortages as a result of this. Um, And... I don't know. What do you think? Do you think um, who will who will blink first? <laughs> I don't know. It'd be so interesting if they do back down. Then what are the what are the consequences of that going to be? Because no one would ever believe them when they make an ultimatum like this again. Yeah. Uh, but then if they don't, then of course we will we'll just have to wait and see what the long term effects, good or bad, are. I'm sorry to be ignorant, but is is um is it still the case that kind of the majority of healthcare workers in the UK are kind of grateful or relieved like lining up to get the vaccine because that was certainly oh, yeah. kind of my experience I think so I mean you can tell that from the 95% who have who are not going to lose their jobs right. um and I find it interesting whenever somebody isn't sure about the vaccine mandate the first thing they always say is I'm very pro vaccine and I think that that reveals that there's a fear that if you have questions on this, you might be um, tarnished as, mm-hmm. as anti-vax, mm-hmm. um, which which I, I find sad, really, that, that, that's, that's, that we can't see these two things as very separate. Um, and to go back to your question, I think, yes, I think people who are, aren't sure about the mandate generally are very pro-vaccine. Yeah, I, I do think there is a lot of, um, you know, in hearing people who are not in favour of the vaccine mandate, I think there is sometimes a conflation between being, at, you know, being against vaccines or this vaccine and being against the mandate. So mm-hmm. I guess that's why people might feel that they need to say they are in favour, because you do often hear the arguments getting a bit mixed up. Uh, so... Talking about the, the the evidence for mandates, one of our colleagues, uh, who's the editor in chief at uh, the journal Evidence Based Medicine, uh, wrote a, an editorial asking about evidence for, for vaccine mandates, uh, and so we thought it would be good to have a chat with him. He's also a GP uh, in Argentina, so um, also great to hear about how things have been in Argentina as a GP over the last couple of years, uh, with some similarities, I have to say, as you'll hear in a second. So, yeah, should we go and hear from uh, Juan Franco uh, about uh, vaccine mandates and evidence? Hi, my name is Juan Franco. I'm a GP based in Argentina. and I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, BMJ, Evidence-Based Medicine. I'm also a clinical editor for BMJ. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, and before we go into vaccine mandates, actually, you know, can, can you tell us about... Sorry, we hadn't planned this, but <laughs> can you can you tell me about you know, what, what your experience in Argentina has been? You know, because we, we're obviously very focused on what's happening in the UK, but um, where it's been very, very difficult. How, how have things been as for GPs in Argentina? Well, it's been um, it's been very rough because uh, the um, uh, caring for people with COVID uh, at the moment has become very complex in terms of uh, advising people what to do. At least this wave is very complex. 
because uh, mm. other people are vaccinated and the perception about uh, risks and what it means to get COVID has changed mm. and, and the behavior of people in terms of uh, isolating and, and, and following what's, what's happening to them has changed dramatically. So um, fortunately, vaccines are working and people uh, know that. So they say, well, I'm getting COVID, it's not that bad. And, 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 and we are supposed to tell them to isolate, uh, but at the same time, we, don't, uh, we tell them they have other things to do and they may not comply to that. So, and, right. and, and, and we sort of understand at the same time because you know, people are, after a couple of years, are, they want to get along with their lives, but at the yeah. same time, we have a, a lot of cases. So, so trying to contain and advise and, and, and care for, uh, for people at this moment uh, yeah. with an evolving perception of risk it's very complex yeah we've had this thing really from the beginning where um you'll be on the you know it's all on the phone to begin with with someone who's had a cough for a week and you say well have you, have you done a test and they'll say no is that is that the same for your patients yeah yeah so we're in the summer at the moment in argentina okay and a lot of people you know one of the most of the symptoms uh of covid in vaccinated people are upper respiratory symptoms mm. So it's unusual for you to get a cold in the summer, right? Uh, it mm. could happen. But a lot of people say, well, my, ha I have a sore throat. And it says, oh, that's because I had the air conditioning all day. And, and, and we had this joke that says, well, uh, a lot of people are getting <laughs> sore throats from air conditioning. But at the same time, when they get tested, it's positive. So let's just not <laughs> uh, say it's the air conditioning and get tested, right? Uh -huh. But a lot of people <laughs> did not get tested at all. And, right. uh yeah. Oh, maybe maybe it's still all about the air conditioning. Maybe that's the thing that hasn't been studied that that needs to be. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it has become a joke to be honest. <laughs> but you wrote about mandatory vaccinations um, for the journal uh, Evidence Based Medicine, and um, tell us about that. What compelled you to, to to want to write about that? Well, um, personally, it all had to do with um, the the immediate threat of of. Uh, of a lockdown in, in this mm. surge. Uh, I said, um, for, for us, for, for, I think for everyone, it was, uh, very, um, it was very difficult, the, the period of lockdown. And I, I guess no one wants to go back into lockdown uh, unless it's strictly necessary. And uh, that made me think about uh, personal liberties and how we can help people uh, try to make uh, healthier choices, but at the same time respecting their liberty, and what, what, what can be called as competing decisions in public health. We usually talk about um, what's the effectiveness of lockdowns in, in, in reducing mm -hmm. transmission, and, but politicians have several decisions on their hands, and, 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 and what's the evidence supporting each of those decisions? So now that we have a vaccine that uh, several vaccines that, that that works, the scenario is different. So it's not that it's only lockdowns and restrictions, but also trying to improve vaccinations to keep the cases down, uh, because a lot of these decisions that are being made are based on these dashboards that are being updated every day, counting the number of cases, number of hospitalizations, mm -hmm. number of deaths, and that creates a pressure into saying. Well, do something, do something, but we, I need to, we need to think carefully. What is it that we can do that would disrupt 
people's lives uh, the least. So it's sort of um, would uh, mandatory vaccinations push you a little bit further along or, or further away from a, another lockdown, either now or in the future? Is that is that one of the things you know you're thinking of, or 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 rather that if you're going to f- do one or the other, <laughs> I suppose if you. Yeah, among other mitigation strategies, right? There are other mitigations that have to do with ventilation, with Mm -hmm. wearing masks, but um, ventilation that require changes in infrastructure. So a lot of mitigation strategies are very complex to implement, but Mm -hmm. a mandate, just getting the vaccine is such a simple public public health uh, strategy if we all get Mm -hmm. together and do it, that it sounded reasonable. But at the same time, What's the evidence base for that, right? So are, is, it, is it effective? And that's another thing that I also thought of the editorial. And how do you get into that, really? Because I know that, um, well, well, I guess, is anybody, does anyone really know the answer to that question? But uh, how would one even go about trying to say, you know, is, is, a, mandate, is a mandate for vaccination effective? Like, I suppose, what do we... I guess there's a number of questions in that, aren't there? What do we mean by a mandate? What measure? What is the the kind of primary outcome, even to to, to borrow a, an evidence-based medicine to term about you know what, what what are you hoping to achieve with 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 when you talk about effectiveness? Um, how would you go about trying to get into that? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, effectiveness will always try to focus on on patient important outcomes or on people important outcomes that. Had to do with well, reduce hospitalizations, reduce death, or uh, or, or even cases, right? But uh, it, most of the evidence is based on surrogate outcomes such as uptake of the vaccine. So if if it's a it's a mandate improving vaccination rates, so mm. we think that if vaccines are effective and vaccination rates goes up then uh, we would have better outcomes. So that's a little bit of what is called indirectness, right, in the evidence. But if we look at uh, uh, the mandates, we also have to think of what type of mandates. Are we people going to get fired because not they, they don't get the vaccine? That would be a hard mandate. Or, or is it a soft uh, mandate, p- trying to nudge people into mm-hmm. getting a vaccine, uh, granting them economical, economic benefits or 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 some 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 sort of uh, small nuances that people mm. would have to get in their everyday life such as the 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 the, the vaccination passports so um anything else on the sort of evidence based medicine side of this because um maybe about like what what you know are you, are you i don't know if you're an evidence based medicine purist where you're looking for a randomized controlled trial and and or or is there different types of evidence that, that we can use usefully here? Well, ideally, uh, yes. If we could uh, do randomized controlled trials or other types of uh, trials, for example, step wedge trials, in which you anticipate that the intervention would be effective somehow and you can randomize um, uh, neighborhoods into progressively taking a mandate and seeing how effective it, that is in increasing vaccination rate, that would be sort of the purest side of me of, of evidence-based medicine, right? <laughs> but at the same time, we have to think about multiple uh, questions on the benefits and harms of this intervention. So, uh, for for instance, 
with with placing a vaccine mandate, are we marginalizing a group of people that are hesitant, uh, especially minorities? Uh, 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 that that uh, there there's existing evidence that says there there there's more hesitancy in those groups. Uh, so if you put the mandate, are, what kind of messaging are we sending to those people? And as GP, as a GP, I also think about what's the role of a GP in multiplying healthy behaviors. All right, uh, what happens if your GP is not vaccinated, and that GP cares for 300, uh, for example. Um, uh, 300 or 400 patients. Uh, what kind of messaging would that send mm. to their mm. to to their to their patients? If he's vac he or she's vaccinated, the the would the, the patients would, their patients would be more willing to get vaccinated, especially if they're in a minority group who is more hesitant. And I think that a lot of these questions that relate to the benefits and harms need to, uh, another type of evidence. Perhaps we need more qualitative evidence, more evidence from sociology, from other disciplines that help us understand what's going on. And that's my least purest uh, part of the ABM uh, mm. <laughs> world. So I suppose there's there's so much evidence nowadays of the efficacy of vaccine, but as we see there, there really isn't any direct evidence for the efficacy of a, a vaccine mandate here. Yeah. And it's so interesting just hearing uh, Juan Franco talking about it because, you know, he was talking about vaccines being part of this kind of... Um, like uh, toolkit that we have, including um, other non-pharmacological interventions, which we've also talked about at various points of the mm. pandemic. You know, we don't have the evidence base that we might want to support mask wearing or um, social distancing. And actually the pandemic has been an opportunity to study these things that perhaps we haven't mm. taken. And why not, I suppose, is it <clears throat> just policymakers want to, Get on and make the make the policy as 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 a time thing. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess in a know. pandemic we are like having to move yeah. dynamically and like setting up a cluster RCT or whatever it is takes time and money, and um, mm. but yeah, and it's not as easy as studying um, like whether a drug works. Mm. So uh, the BMA have called for more to be done to look at the impact. I think they wanted an impact assessment and an equality impact assessment as part of the plans for this. Uh, I guess it got me thinking about something Juan said there about um, adverse events and you know, looking more broadly than just how many people get the vaccine or, or and so on. Um, so I suppose we, we'd never publish a study, would we, which didn't include you know, a decent uh, analysis of adverse events, and yet it seems that this has gone ahead without an awful lot of consideration of, of the possible adverse events. Yeah. Is that a good analogy? Is that even an analogy? Yeah, yeah, but... I think that is a good analogy. And again, something we're seeing, you know, time and again throughout this pandemic, or just with policies in general, I think there just should be a general consideration of like, well, what are the downsides? Who Who will be most kind of disproportionately affected by this? Mm. How can we mitigate against widening inequalities when we introduce this mm. interesting 
Well, um, I think it probably is about time to, to wrap up, isn't it? Um, uh, so, yeah, well, we'll see you next time. We'll uh, be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, uh, thank you to Juan Franco and to Steve Mole uh, for, for talking to me. And thank you, Navjoy. See you next time. Thanks very much. See you next time. And Jenny, you're not going away again. You'll be back next time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. If you're enjoying uh, Deep Breath In, please take a look at your podcast app and rate us or like us or share us in your clinical meeting or by email, whatever, we don't mind. Uh, And we'll be back again, as I said, in two weeks' time. Bye for now.